This week on the 108 Podcast, I'm Murph Day with Bill Morrow. I think society in general, I think we're in another renaissance. I think a lot of people are trying to have like a rebirth of intellectualism. Schools of philosophy build on other schools of philosophy. It's something I talk about on my page all the time, of how important, you know, actively suffering is to personal development. I think it makes you realize just how complacent you can become. And as we know in law enforcement, complacency ends up killing us. I think for my New Year's resolution, I'm going to do this Murph every day for a year challenge. It's honestly going to be the hardest part of my day. Everything else kind of pales in comparison when you're doing something like this. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome, welcome to the 108 podcast. This is episode 317, a Murph a day with Bill Morrow. Today's episode focuses on a bunch of different topics that we've already covered in a bunch of different episodes. Today, we are going to talk about stoicism, mental health, discipline, and breaking out of your comfort zone and why all of that is important. But before we do any of that, let's go ahead and talk about the sponsors for today's episode. Listen, it's no surprise to anyone that law enforcement agencies suck at getting the word out to their citizens they serve. Whether it's debriefing a critical incident or educating the public about various aspects of law enforcement, it takes a special skill set that too many in law enforcement don't have. In this ever-changing world of social media, do you, your agency, and your community a favor and check out TOC Public Relations, a company ran by former law enforcement to help you get your message out in an appropriate and professional way. Check them out on social media as well as TOCPublicRelations.com. Let me tell you something you already know. Living a life in public service is a life of sacrifice, but you cannot serve the community or back your partner up if you're not physically able to do so. According to a report by the Wall Street Journal, more than 40% of law enforcement officers are obese. Other studies have found that police officers are 25% more likely to die from weight-related disorders like cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and even some cancers. Why continue to be a liability to your partners, your loved ones, your community, and yourself? Contact the folks at fit.responders and get your fight back. This episode is also brought to you by my new friends over at RTI Training, giving the type of training that incorporates humor and knowledge that cops respond to. Listen, we all know that you will never retain anything thanks to death by PowerPoint. So do yourself a favor and check out the new kids on the block when it comes to police training. They are revelationstraining.com. And guys, I also want to tell you about our sponsor, Jiu-Jitsu 5.0. They just came out with the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app. It is the ultimate training tool for all law enforcement. Members of the app get on-demand access to a huge library of techniques for the streets, grappling-based workouts, yoga, and a monthly nutrition plan. They also have 24-hour, 7-day-a-week access to Jason, the founder of Jiu-Jitsu 5.0, for personalized training assistance. So... Go to the app store of your choosing and download the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app today. It's available for Android as well as Apple, so get on it now. And last but not least, this episode is brought to you by Thin Vine Wines. Thin Vine Wines is a mission-driven wine company that proudly backs first responders and the military. With a background in law enforcement, their support for police, dispatch, fire, and the military is unwavering. Thin Vine Wines donates $2 from every bottle sold to law enforcement and military-driven nonprofits. Making awesome wine is the vehicle, 
Making wine with a purpose is the mission. Check out their social medias at Thin Vine Wines on Instagram and Facebook and order online at thinvine.wine using the code 10-8-T-E-N, the number 8, for $10 off two or more bottles of wine. Once again, go check out all the sponsors. They have been an integral part in keeping this show running. So go check them out. They're all law enforcement owned, operated, or former law enforcement owned and operated. So back to our guest today. I first met Bill Morrow in 2019 when I started 108 Memes. I was just perusing Instagram and following a bunch of different pages that have to do with law enforcement, found a bunch of different pages that had to do with philosophy, and then I thought, hmm, I need a page that does both. I need law enforcement and philosophy together, and voila, I found the stoic cop. The rest is pretty much history. Bill was on my show in season one, and he owns the title as the first person ever interviewed for the show in existence. And that doesn't really count for anything, but if this show ever goes anywhere significant, he can always put that feather in his cap. So until then, he's kind of got to keep that ace in the hole. Um, but he also appeared on episode 1-3, The Stoic Cop. And in the time since then, he has written and published a book. He has had his popular Instagram page, and he also had a blog. And also over the past three years, I've seen him grow into David Goggins Jr., Okay, maybe not to that extreme, but his interest in rucking and pushing his body to new limits brings me constant amounts of awe and inspiration. I guess that's a good word for it. Also, like our guest earlier this season, Heaven Duval Cox, he's a big fan of sandbag workouts, so just different things to, to move your body. His love for extreme workouts and pushing himself brings us to our episode today. Bill is currently undertaking an amazing feat, not for the weak-willed or the faint at heart. He's performing a Murph a day for 365 days. Now, in the conversation itself, we are going to talk about what the Murph is and what he's doing and so on and so forth. But before we get to that part, I want to talk about pushing your body and what it does and what it means and my own personal experience with that itself. So when I recorded the conversation for the episode, I was beginning my first attempt at Andy Frisella's 75 Hard. Andy Frisella is the owner of First Form. He also hosts the Real AF podcast and is the author of 75 Hard. The 75 Hard challenge is this. For 75 days, you must stick to a meal plan, drink a gallon of water per day, commit to two 45-minute workouts, one of which has to be outside. You got to read 10 minutes a day. You have to take a progress picture every single day. Also during those 75 days, there are no substitutions, no deviations, no cheat meals, and no alcohol. The moment any of those tasks is not completed, you fail, and you must begin from the beginning. I started it on January 9th, and I lasted about eight days. Actually, more like seven and a half. I was walking, I was in the gym, I was drinking water, I was actually listening to audiobooks as opposed to reading because I just have so much drive time, so that was actually a deviation, but I drive so much that I felt like this was a better use of my time. So I was going to allow that one. But I was pretty strict with it, actually, even though I kind of joked and said I was doing a 75 soft medium hard, you know, kind of giving myself uh, deviations as I went along. But it's all about building the discipline. So there was times that I got in the car, I put music on and I was like, no, 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 I have to listen to these books or I, I was also doing informational podcasts. I have to do that. So all while doing 75 hard, I was working full time shift work overnight and I was working on the podcast and working on all the internet stuff, and my spring semester with school just started as well. The first week went fine. I had some like calf and ankle pain from all the walking I was doing. I was walking like three miles a day, hitting about 10,000 steps a day. At one point, trying to make it fit with my schedule, I walked about eight miles in 24 hours. 
but I felt good. I was, I was sore and tired, but it wasn't bad. I could work through it. I shared daily about what I was doing, and it felt really good to have the Instagram community behind me and, and kind of cheering me on. And that sense of accomplishment each day, it was really helping. But then I hit day eight. I got to bed probably about 9 a.m. I had two podcast interviews on that day. Actually, one of them was this one. And I woke up at 2 p.m. Okay, so that's actually earlier than I usually would, but I didn't really get out of bed till 2.15. Um, I tried to get my walk in and that just, that doesn't, that didn't work. I didn't get to my first mile. It was under 45 minutes, but again, I was kind of giving myself some leeway because I knew I had a busy day, but ultimately I ended up feeling terribly overwhelmed about everything. So I pulled an all nighter. I, you know, stayed up for about 24 hours, actually more so. And in doing so I didn't eat well. I chose caffeine over water. So I, I counted day eight as a fail. Originally, I said I succeeded. I you know marked it off on the app that comes with the whole thing, but I couldn't keep that lie going. So I admitted to it, um, even though no one would have any idea, but it was all about self-accountability, and I'm not here to be dishonest. So I did. I counted it as a fail, and I stopped. So then I took a few days to reflect on it, and I'm trying to gear up to something similar. In thinking about my first attempt, I came to the realization of a couple things. One is 75 hard is not a fitness challenge. It's not an eating challenge. It's a mindset and discipline challenge. It's about can you push through discomfort and silence your own, as Annie Frisella would say, bitch voice. And in short, I didn't. Not that I couldn't, not that I can't, but I chose not to. Uh, I've made myself intentionally uncomfortable before. On a semi-regular basis, I wouldn't say regular, but um, I do these little fasts. I did the Smashing Greens fast, 10 days, nothing but these disgusting green shakes. It was terrible. I got to nine and a half, and on that last day, the last shake I had, um, I threw up. I was so grossed out by the taste, and I, I didn't, it was just it was bad. So I've done that. Uh, and when I did that challenge, it was on Memorial Day weekend, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, but I pushed through. Um, I've done intermittent fasting, and the fasting part really isn't that bad. That's kind of the easy part. For me, the hard part is not eating like shit when you can eat. So that was kind of the problem with that. And I've also done the Arden's Garden Detox, which is two days of drinking a gallon each day of this citrus juice. And that, that wasn't that bad either. It just kind of tastes like uh, grapefruit juice. It wasn't that great, but whatever. So I've done those things. So 75 hard, in theory, is one of the harder discipline challenges that you can do. Um, I've went most of 2022 trying to build different habits and get into a good place where I thought I could achieve 75 hard on the first go. And now that I failed that, I'm looking more into it, more, looking more at to it. And so many times I'll be running late for work and I think I'm quote starving and I stop at a drive through on the way in or I'll grab something quick and easy and I justify it with, oh, it was the best option at the time. That's a lie. That's an excuse. One, I can wait. I've literally gone days without eating before. Two, it's definitely not my best option at all. Any stretch of the imagination. And you're going to hear in our conversation that it's so easy to make excuses or concessions. Just while doing my 75 hard, my seven day hard, I guess you could call it, people told me that they would never be able to do it because one, they couldn't give up alcohol or they couldn't work out that much or they couldn't drink enough water, so on and so forth. You're the only person stopping you, right? So when I start 75 hard again, if I do, uh, I thought about this a lot. I will post about it. I wasn't going to, but I will be sure to let you see what I do because I want to be that pillar of hope. I want people to go, hey, this guy did it. So I sure as shit can. Trust me. I have every excuse in the book. So if I can do it, you can too. Furthermore, 
Talking to Bill got me thinking about complacency. We always talk in law enforcement about how complacency kills. We don't pay attention to unseen or to subjects, and we could get hurt. But let's apply that to life. Complacency kills. If you are okay with your life and your comfort zone, don't get me wrong. The complacency of not eating properly and not exercising like you're supposed to feels okay in the moment. And you end up having a ton of free time to watch Netflix and play Call of Duty and all that stuff. But give it about six months and all that complacency is going to equal higher numbers in areas like weight, body mass index, and cholesterol, and lower numbers in areas like testosterone and life expectancy. Same thing with us at work, professionally. How many people are complacent in a job they hate? They could risk and go do something else, but it's safe where you're currently at. Are you seeing how each week we're kind of tying each of the previous week into it and so on and so forth? It's like I'm smart doing this stuff. One last lamentation before we transition to Bill. And I thought about a lot about this one. I probably never should have been a cop. I was definitely not built for it. Running, lifting, shooting, fighting. I was always pretty mediocre or worse at all those things. But my mind, I always wanted to be a detective and solve cases. So my mind was always there. And that's what I was going for. And though I was never built for police work, my brain, my determination got me through some of the hardest tasks. That mindset is going to carry me through other hard tasks, whether it's 75 hard, even if it takes me 75 attempts, or just life in general. And you can do that too, whether it's for something like 75 hard, whether it's for a Smashing Greens challenge, I do not recommend that one, or if it's for just daily life or going to a job that you actually like as opposed to one that you're just complacent in. In this conversation, we're going to talk about making yourself intentionally miserable. I didn't think about it at the time, but as I was editing the episode, it came to my mind. One of the most miserable days I ever worked, possibly one of the most miserable days of my life, was a Memorial Day party on 2020, in 2020. It was May 25th, 2020. It was the first major gathering since the state of Florida shut down for COVID in March of that year. It was a whole day of being on a foot post. It was hot. It was sunny. It was dealing with fights, shootings, car chases, traffic. It was miserable. All while participating in the aforementioned disgusting Smashing Greens Fast. And I was so tempted and able to break. There was food all over the place. I was very well able to do so, but I didn't. So it was a mix of being miserable by circumstance and by myself. But it wasn't that bad. Do you know what else happened on May 25th, 2020? St. George of Minneapolis died. And to all my brothers and sisters that worked the skirmish lines for those riots, you had it much, much worse. But so goes my point. You survived. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk to some amazing and remarkable police officers that have endured way worse than I have. And if all these conversations that I'm giving you don't inspire you, you may be listening to the wrong podcast. But that's a story for another time. All that being said, guys, I hope you're ready because here comes my conversation with Bill Morrow, the Stoic Cop, here on the 10-8 Podcast. All right, we've got the Stoic Cop. We've got Bill Morrow. Everybody that's listened to us from day one, this is literally my day one. He was the first person I talked to way back when I started the show. So, so happy to have him back on. We're going to talk about new things. Bill, how you doing, man? Good, man. How are you? How you been? I, I've been good, man. This is, uh, so we, we were just saying, so I started 75 hard a week ago. 
well, it'll be two weeks when this airs. And uh, so 75 Hard, for everybody that's not aware, it was a concept that came up by Andy Frisella, who runs First Form. And basically, it's a challenge where for 75 days straight, there's no deviation from this. Uh, you do two workouts per day. It has to be 45 minutes at a time um, or each. One has to be outside. You have to drink a gallon of water a day. Had to stick to a meal plan, take a progress picture, uh, read 10 pages a day, and I think that's it. No cheat meals, no alcohol, nothing like that. And you do that for 75 days, no deviations. Um, and if you de- if you miss or deviate or whatever, you're supposed to start all the way back at day one. Um, I've seen a lot of people do it. I've seen a lot of people fail, which is kind of, kind of what it's built to do, I guess. But, um, so I'm doing it a little differently. I'm not staying a hundred percent true to it. So I'm calling it 75 soft, medium, hard yeah, yeah. because I'm, I, I am doing some deviations because unfortunately with shift work and, and probably just me as a person, I just, I can't do that all the way. I mean, the goal is to do it as close to the program as written as possible, but it's uh it's a, it's a tough one. Yeah. It sounds pretty, uh, like a lot of, I guess, personal, volume as far as you know working out reading doing all that stuff it seems like it takes up a lot of time right right and with shift work and 12 hour shifts that's it becomes uh very insurmountable very quickly and especially like night shift is where it's really tough like i'm good when i'm in that routine when i'm working i kind of have it broken down like my day to make it work but when like today is an off day for me for work so now i gotta change my hours and and you know how i schedule out my time and it gets very difficult if you're monday through friday eight to five and that's all it is and you know you kind of keep that routine it's not so bad yeah yeah exactly so uh for everyone listening this is this is bill he's uh he's the stoic cop on instagram go ahead i'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself and then we'll kind of dive into our topics today all right uh yeah my name is bill morrow um i've been a cop now for going on i think next month will be like nine nine years been on patrol. Um, I was on the, our violent crimes task force with my agency. I was doing uh, undercover uh, warrants and fugitive pickups. Um, currently, I'm with our threat management section, which it's it's a very nuanced thing. But I guess to put it in this, you know short little blurb, it's a very proactive intelligence unit. Um, it is a shirt and tie detective okay. thing, so I never thought I'd be doing that. So. To say that I'm a shirt and tie detective now is kind of weird, but uh, I'm going on almost two <laughs> years doing that. Um, but yeah, in my free time, I'm I'm really into just working out, self improvement. Um, you know, pretty much what what we're about to talk about. You know, <laughs> right, right. When I when we first started talking, even before uh, the first podcast that conversation we had, you know, you I think that's when you were making the switch to your current assignment. And, um, or maybe like soon thereafter, and you were like kind of on the fence about going that way because it was so different from what you were used to, you know, the, the run and gun in violent crimes, go get bad people kind of thing. Um, so how has that switch been for you? Has it been, have you made it your own or you still kind of feel like a fish out of water? Actually, no, I I've made it my own. So I knew I always knew that I wanted to eventually do like gang investigations. Um, I know a lot of other agencies, their their gang investigations is usually pretty undercover and 
and whatnot. Um, we're not like that. Um, like I said, our, our unit, it, it is a shirt and tie detective unit. Um, so I'm not really out in the field doing gang investigations that gang investigations as like, you know, someone would traditionally think, um, it's more, more or less documentation and, and investigations from behind a desk. However, mm-hmm. um, because I've took on that role, um, I have gotten, I've become the chairperson for our um, multi-agency gang task force, which is like a region-wide mm-hmm. um, intelligence, you know, sharing and gathering that I host a meeting once a month over at our uh, state um, intelligence building. Um, I've also, I'm about to get on the board for the, uh, Florida Gang Investigators Association and start teaching classes through that. Um, so I would say I've embraced it quite well. Um, I've had a lot of professional growth from it. You know, I do a lot of public speaking now, obviously with, you know, running those monthly Intel meetings. So it's definitely developed me professionally, um, as opposed to, you know, doing the whole undercover thing and kind of being behind the scenes, I've definitely, you know, put myself in front of a lot of, uh, you know, different people, different eyes of all sorts of ranks and getting my, my reputation out there. Right. And so taking that mindset, right, and then applying it to non-law enforcement, right? So you really, if we want to kind of make this a little philosophical, you kind of purposely made yourself uncomfortable and you made it into something where you are comfortable and you've grown from it, right? Yeah, so before I got into doing this whole, like, uh, you know, gang and intel sharing meeting, running, what whatever you want to call it, um, I've been asked a few times to do um, public speaking for my book as far as, like, you know, I think, what was it, the Southeast Regional Homicide Investigators Association asked me to go to their, uh, their conference over in Houston last year to... Um, uh, do a do a, a presentation on my book to them. Um, I also was all, I was also asked to do a uh, another conference up in Illinois for I think it was like a, uh, a tactical or SWAT um, conference. Um, I turned those both down mainly because like I just wasn't comfortable doing public speaking. But now that I've you know dove into my professional gang intel gather gathering and sharing. Uh, role where I do a lot of public speaking. I think if I if I get asked in the future to do some sort of presentation on, you know, stoicism and self help and all that stuff, I'd probably be I'd probably accept it at this point, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what I've noticed. And through your social media and everything I've seen, you know, you seem to be posting a whole lot more. You you your social media is broadened out. When we first started talking you it was just strictly stoic quotes and then a blurb about how it relates to law enforcement. Now you've really embraced the, the self-help, the personal growth and development. And that's, you know, is really nice to see, especially since, you know, we've kind of been linked up on the internet basically since I started doing it. So it's really cool to see this transformation and growth for you and to see now that it's directly related by what you're doing at work. I mean, that's kind of what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got you got to branch out. There's only so much stoicism you can apply to law enforcement. And, you know, also, I didn't want to follow that cookie cutter daily stoic um, 
platform. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I branched out into doing a lot more things um, than yeah, what I typically used to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of it definitely bears some value or a lot of value to me. So, you know, amazing. And having talked to many people now, you know, when people... Because, you know, I, I've also been talking stoicism for so long and a lot of them are like, oh, you know, if uh, if you're really into stoicism, you got to check out the stoic cop. I was like, oh, really? That's 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 great. I'm so glad because, you know, obviously your name's getting out there. And when people say law enforcement and stoicism, you go right into it. And that's a that's a really I mean, it's a niche of a niche of a niche, but it's yeah. a really good spot to be because obviously, as we've talked about, it's such an important part or it's, it's an important uh, angle to law enforcement that no one really focuses on or talks about enough. So the fact that you are synonymous with that, it, it's great. Yeah, it does feel pretty good um, to kind of, kind of a, I don't want to say corner the market, but, you know, be closely associated, like you said, with stoicism and law enforcement. Um, and like I said, I, I know I mentioned it when our, during our first uh, uh, podcast, you know, when I started doing research into stoicism and, and law enforcement, there really was no material. No one had made that connection. So I've, I'm proud to say that I've kind of bridged that gap more or less. Yeah, absolutely. And, and continue to do so as well, because, you know, so many more pages are popping up and I don't know if by someone like you existing made them feel comfortable about making it, or maybe they're just kind of, floating to the top a little bit more. I'm not sure, but, you know, talk about like books behind the badge. There's a page I follow now, books for cops, the Stoic mm-hmm. Sentinel, right? All these different pages now and, and podcasts and things like that. They're all coming up and it's like, this is so cool to see this realm of law enforcement. Um, I feel like literacy is starting to really take a, um, a new, a new growth, I guess, within law enforcement. People are talking about reading more and, this mental health and philosophy type thing and now personal growth and development. I mean, it's really a nice thing because I feel like all too often we talk about the negatives of law enforcement and the, the bad habits we get into. But when you get something like this, the positives really start to come out and it's like, Oh, this could be a really good enlightenment new beginning for law enforcement. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. I've, I've actually been kind of saying this for a little bit. I think, not, not so much in law enforcement, I think society in general, I think we're in another renaissance. I think we're in such a weird time um, in history, a lot of turmoil. I think a lot of people are trying to have like a rebirth of intellectualism and, and literacy and reading and working out and self-help. I just, I think, I really do believe we're in another renaissance and, uh, you know, and I think that's a good thing, you know, people want to grow and develop and, and, and find themselves, um, you know, than we have, you know, in the past, like, few decades. So it's a, it's a great thing. And I agree. Back when I was, um, I don't know, this is probably 10 years ago now, I, I thought that we were, like, on the verge of, like, a new enlightenment, and I got so excited, and then life happened, and I look and go, okay, maybe not. You know, like, I was kind of let down, but now seeing how things have manifested, right, kind of goes to that old saying, like, hard times breed uh, strong men, blah, 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 blah. I think that's where we're at. I think we're at the hard times. I think we're, we're breeding the strong men and having different thought leaders like that and kind of pushing, I think the, you know, the Joe Rogans and the Goggins and things like that, they are the most public figureheads out there, 
But I think you're seeing just an army of people behind them starting to go, this is the way of life. That's how it should be. That's how it should be led. And it's really starting to change the culture. And, you know, you're going to have that, that mainstream. I think you're always going to have that. But on the back, it's really starting to push into a really positive direction. If we keep going that way, I think we're going to be okay. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Time will tell. That's that's right. That's the optimism in me. And I'm trying to stay optimistic because if I don't, then things start looking really bleak really quick. Yeah. And it goes back to obviously focusing on what you can control and what you can't control. And I know that if I control me and my family and those around, or I can't control those around me, but if I can possibly influence those around me by my behavior and by my habits, you know, maybe that'll spark more within my own little thing and start splintering off. So that's kind of where I've been. And stoicism definitely was the first domino to fall and got me into all the different nooks and crannies that I'm into right now. Oh, 100%. Because, yes, stoicism was my foot in the door to, you know, the new renaissance in my life, more or less. And now I'm reading all sorts of different, you know, philosophies and psychologies and sociologies and and whatnot you know it's it's definitely broadened my um outlook on life as far as you know bettering myself yeah absolutely and i feel like the the student in me right is just getting so excited when i come across something new and when i see it and i see that it connects to stoicism like oh look at that and you know but they may not even refer like I, I posted something i think yesterday and they were talking about the dichotomy of control and i was like look at that like i was so excited i was like oh they don't they're not even referencing stoicism but they are and i'm like this yeah. is you know showing that there's a clear path you know yeah me and uh me and brady with books behind the badge um we said the same thing like you can read different philosophies and there's always going to be some sort of connection you make back to stoicism it's pretty uh surreal sometimes you know like you don't you know those people have their own other philosophies you know they have their own ideologies and they're not necessarily trying to make that point to stoicism but there's there's always a bridge somewhere you know schools of philosophy build on other schools of philosophies you know ideologies build upon previous ideologies so there's always going to be that connection Right. And even if you go beyond philosophy, right? And like right now I'm in uh I'm back in school and I'm in, I'm studying psychology, but I'm also taking an anthropology course and I was just saying to my girlfriend like, "Oh, I was I was studying this chapter and I realized that it mirrored the chapter of the anthropology book I'm working on too." So I was like, "Wow, that's so crazy." So it goes with sciences too, and it goes with all different disciplines. And you know, when you're when you're driving in your car, you're listening to a podcast and someone says something and it hits that note and you're like, oh, my God, like for me, I go crazy. I really hope I never get to see the people that see me as I drive by them because I go crazy. I get so excited when I'm like, yes, it's it's all coming together and it's 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 really nice. Or when I talk to a guest on here and we don't we go a whole hour, we don't mention stoicism once. And then I say mm-hmm. one thing and they go, oh, yeah, just like when I read it in meditations and I was like stop the car. Hold on a second. Let's get back here. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's really, it's a great thing to see it all going. Yeah. 100%. I totally agree. Yeah. So it's, but, but like we said, like that really got, it, it was the first step for me as well. So it's, and I kind of wonder, I kind of wonder, but I don't like where my, where I would be if I didn't open that door first, if I would have had the same kind of self-recollection and self-reflection to go where I am now and where, you know, I see my world going, but I mean, only time will tell, but 
I'm pretty happy with the way things are going for sure for me personally. Yeah, and that's always a good thing, you know. As long as you're happy on whatever course you're taking, um, you know how you got there. There's always something to build upon. Absolutely. So, as as we're talking about that, right? You you've already said you've had personal growth in relation to your career, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then you also said about how stoicism pushed you to want to seek different um, avenues and. One of the biggest, excuse me, one of the biggest things that I've noticed from you on your social media is your physical fitness and kind of pushing yourself to go leaps and bounds above uh, just kind of the normal. So go ahead. How did that all start with you? Like, I know, I don't know. What was your fitness background and, you know, how did you get to where you are right now? So I've always been active um i got into sports probably around like four or five you know i also grew up in a time before social media and well i mean video games are around but like i still grew grew up in a time where you know going outside and playing outside after school was like a thing so i've always been a pretty active kid um i would say i got really into fitness around like 21 you know prior to that i was just working out for to stay in shape for sports. It was more of like a maintaining type of thing. But uh, I would say around 21 is when I got into like trying to push boundaries. You know, I did MMA through college, um, had a few fights. Then I was doing powerlifting. And then um, over the past few years, I would say like right before COVID, like 2019, it's when I got into like endurance type of uh, of um, events and working out where I got into go ruck and going on long rucks, long runs, sandbag workouts, just hours and hours long. Um, but and and you know the whole reason behind it was to push those boundaries mentally. It wasn't necessarily a physical thing. Um, it was it was more of a mental thing, trying to you know obtain mental toughness by doing things that you hate and being uncomfortable and actively suffering, which is something I talk about on my page all the time of how important, you know, actively suffering is to personal development. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I'm at now is it's, it's functional for the job, but it's also, um, kind of cathartic mentally, and emotionally. So why is intentional discomfort important? Um, because I think it makes you realize just how complacent you can become if you're not actively suffering. You know, I think inherently as a a species, we want to seek comfort, um, you know, but comfort can only, I feel like comfort is something we can only should or should be able to taste briefly because the longer we stay in a comfort zone, um, the, lo- the sooner we, be- we start to let our guard down. And when you let your guard down, that's when complacency sets in. And as we know in law enforcement, mm-hmm. complacency ends up killing us because we just, we're, we're not as vigilant as we were when we we're uncomfortable. I think discomfort just keeps you vigilant in life. Yeah, I, I think it does. I think also, you know, going to like a neurological point, if you don't know what's coming or if you're kind of always in a I don't want to say always in a fight or flight but if you put yourself in that fight or flight or that discomfort where your brain's going all right what's going on what's going on you know you're you're kind of always moving your neurons you don't get 
you know, out of that state. So that way, when it does go, you're not surprised, right? So when when I when we talk about complacency kills directly in law enforcement, I think a lot of times my mind does. I don't know about everyone else, but my mind goes to, you know not looking at a subject the right way, not watching their hands, not searching properly, things like that. But also, when you think about complacency and it killing us, we don't we don't take our diet seriously. We don't exercise yeah. properly. And then exactly. that complacency is going to get us sedentary and so on. And that's going to kill you, right? Cuz heart disease is one of the leading causes of killing people in America, but also in law enforcement and heart attack, stroke, high blood pressure, all that stuff. Those are right at, you know, top of the list for a lot of the reasons why cops die. Mm-hmm. And so that's another thing that we really need to keep in mind as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's absolutely true as far as like health is concerned. Um, and to take it a step further, I just think like if, if you, if you never test yourself in moving weight and moving um, for long distances, when crisis comes and you don't know if you can, um, you know, haul 200 pounds of dead weight for a certain distance to save your life or someone else's life. If you, if you never experience that, um, you know, when there is no crisis, you're definitely not going to be able to perform when crisis comes, you know, like if, if, if you're out on the streets, take law enforcement, for example, and your buddy goes down from getting shot. If you can't drag your buddy to safety with all with you know his full weight and all of his duty gear on like what what good are you that's why you need to do that on your off time right right because that's you don't want when it happens to be the time to test it and i I think too many cops go oh when when i need it i got it no no that's not how this works at all and i think everyone falls into that false sense of security both you know law enforcement and 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 regular life you know, you're always you see something on TV and you're like, oh, I would have done something this way or I could I could do that. I can do this. That's that. That's comfort lying to you. I mean, I think we tell ourselves lives mm-hmm. lies when we're comfortable. But when it comes to actually doing things, I think people drastically overestimate themselves. And, uh, you know, and that's why you need to purposely put yourselves in uncomfortable suffering situations to see if you really if you can really measure up to what you to what your mind tells you right i remember when i was starting out and one of my training officers was saying something to the effect of um you know kind of special forces guys in the Mm -hmm. military they train with a high blood pressure and they are doing fine motor skills to do so why so that way when it comes to a combat scenario where you know the blood pressure is high they already know what it feels like they know how to react they know that they can respond appropriately and there are guys and i've seen it where you make them run you know 50 yards and then they have to put rounds down range and they can't do it so but, you know, even even if you can stand at a static line and qualify, right, if you're having trouble doing mm-hmm. that, you're going to have a million times harder doing doing something with a little stress in your body. And you start thinking about it like, well, if I get into shooting on duty, it's not going to be static on the line. It's going to be when my adrenaline's all the way through the roof. And oh, that's where we need to train and we need to have that off-duty practice time. You know, you practice how you play. So you really need to practice intensely, not just to qualify. Yeah, you have to practice with intent, 100%. If there's no intent in your training, then you know why even do it? You're just wasting your time. And as far as like intentional discomfort outside of 
that, right? Um, you know, like the new the new big trend right now is, you know, or maybe it's just because I keep clicking on it on Instagram, but it's the, the cold therapy. People are putting themselves in extremely cold situations and it's basically, you know, telling themselves like, okay, I can do this type of thing. And mm-hmm. it's good. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's something that I'm kind of aspiring to and I'm kind of building towards. But in law enforcement, you also have to think about practicality. That's not necessarily the most practical thing. Like, you can do it and you're going to build some mental toughness out of it. But if you're doing something like you're talking about where it's like going on a long ruck or, you know, some intense workouts, there's some practicality to that. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with this uh, this new task I've taken on, the, the Murph Challenge for every day for a year. There's a lot of functionality in that um, because it, it's it's running, it's 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 uh, pull-ups, push-ups, squats, all with, you know, a 20-pound vest on. So there's a lot of correlation between that and, uh, you know, being able to function in law enforcement. For sure. So that's uh, that's kind of the, the theme of the episode. Well, that's kind of the pinpoint, I guess. So what what is this? What is the, the – well, first off, let's start super basic. What is the MRF? So the MRF is a – it's like probably one of the first CrossFit wads workout of the days that came to be back in like 2000, mid 2000s or so. And it's, it's supposed to pay homage to uh, Michael Murphy from Operation Red, uh, Red Wings. Um, if, for those of you who don't know, he was the, uh, the officer that led uh, that operation um, in the Navy SEALs back in like 2004-ish. Uh, he died in the line of duty. But anyway, so this this was, I guess, his favorite workout to do while deployed, where he would, you know, put on a 20-pound vest. He would run a mile, do 100 uh, pull-ups, 200 push-ups, and 300 squats, and then followed by another mile run, all for time. So when he died, the CrossFit community embraced this workout as, like, kind of like the quintessential hero wad. Um, so anyway... That's usually done every Memorial Day to pay homage to uh, Lieutenant Murphy. Um, and I, probably about a few years ago, I had heard that there were people doing the Murph every day for an entire year. Um, I believe a guy named Graham Desert was the first to do it. Um, and then I had heard about it then. I didn't really think too much of it. I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty badass. And then um, I came across an Instagram page about a year ago um at Jimbo Broski um he's a DC cop but he uh he was doing the Murph challenge every day for a year and uh you know it's it's it seemed like a very yeah it's very physical it's a lot of volume but it seemed like a very mentally and emotionally um enlightening uh feat to take on so uh I decided this year that I was going to do it as a means to kind of avenge some setbacks I had last year. So I, I took on this year long challenge to kind of, uh, get myself back to where I felt I should have been last year. Okay. And what, what setbacks happened last year? Um, so like I said before, um, I'm really into like the go ruck events. Um, for people who don't know what go ruck is, it's pretty much, it started out as a backpack company, for rucking, um, started by a former Green Beret. Um, but they do all these um, these challenges throughout the year all over the country, varying from like a six-hour challenge, a 12-hour challenge, there's 24-hour challenges, all the way up to 48. Um, so I started doing those. 
And the uh, the 48 hour challenge, which is called Go Ruck Selection, is kind of like the Super Bowl of Go Ruck challenges. I mean, it is a you know a kick in the dick, <laughs> if, if I can put it <laughs> put it like that. Um, you know, my goal last year was to complete that. I had trained like two years for it, and I only made it about eight hours in before I ended up quitting. And that was kind of uh, not what I wanted, obviously. And the fact that I actually quit weighed very heavily on my mind. So um, I thought a lot about it. And that, this was back in October, so I had you know a few months to think about it. And I was probably at the last second, uh, probably like December 30th, I was like, I think for my New Year's resolution, I'm going to do this Murph every day for a year challenge. Um, and then I just woke up New Year's Day and just just started just like anything that's you feel is insurmountable you just got to start and just let the momentum carry through it and it's like i've noticed for me you know i've never tried anything extreme like that 75 hard is about as extreme as i've as i've gotten and it's it's been a pain as well but for me even even for 75 hard but any like serious meal plan change or or lifestyle change that i want to try i can't say all right on monday this is happening no one day i just mm-hmm. wake up and go today's the day and that's kind of what 75 hard was i had an idea that i wanted to start it at a certain point but same thing like i couldn't just be like all right diet starts monday no i had to just like wake up and feel it obviously there's a little bit of prep to that because you don't want to like say all right today's the day and you have nothing you know in your pantry or whatever for that but so i like mm-hmm. that i like that so as we are recording this right now, so we're actually like a week ahead of when this airs, but as we are right now, where are you on the Murph a Day Challenge? How many days have you done it so far? So I just completed day 16 today, and actually I have a I have a blog that I do that I'm going to be updating frequently, um, writing about my journey through this. Um, but I'm writing currently writing how like this 16th day is when I realize that this is now kind of like a habit it's part of my routine it's almost like a warm-up for my other workouts because i'm doing this these murphs on top of like a regular strength training or rucking workout um mm. but i got like halfway through like the uh the pull-ups and the push-ups and i was just like i was just kind of had all this momentum going and i just thought in the back of my mind i was like wow this is kind of just routine now like i'm not even phased by how much it sucks or how much volume this is or how long it's taking me. I'm kind of just cruising right now. And I think that's super important. Now that it's part of my routine and it's part of habit, it's, you know, a habit of mine, I think it's going to help propel me, you know, hopefully smoothly through the next, uh, however, like 300 whatever days it is left. But, uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I might be speaking too soon, but, you know, I, I just feel like, I'm on a good path right now at day 16 mentally. Physically, I'm beat up. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Yeah. But mentally, I feel uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm in a really good place. I've set myself up really good right now early on. That's good. And I didn't know that you were also doing normal workouts on top of this. So I thought yeah. you were crazy to begin with. And now I think you're just flat out insane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because I, I still have some go ruck events I want to do this year. So I still got to get those long rucks in, those sandbag workouts, those strength training workouts. So... It's it's yeah, my Murphs are kinda like the uh the warm up <laughs> for like the other workouts. But it's a good thing because I think the Murph 
it's honestly going to be the hardest part of my day and the hardest part of my workout. So anything that happens after that is kind of going to just be gravy, you know, even in, even at, you know, like my regular job, I know like when I get stressed out at work over some, you know, whatever BS that's coming down the pipe from above me. Yeah. It, it might piss you off or stress you up, but like that is not the hardest part of my day. I know that the hardest part of my day is not going to be until I do that Murph. So everything else kind of pales in comparison when, you, when you're doing something like this. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, it's all about perspective and what you deem important or stressful or whatever, you know, adjective you want to put to it. So that's a, that's a good way to put it. Um, and I, the thing I was thinking about the Murph now, I haven't completed a Murph. I'm, I'm working towards it. You know, I've been doing CrossFit almost a year now, so I'm working towards it. Uh, definitely this past Memorial day, I was not there yet. I don't think I'm there yet right now either, but we'll see. Mm -hmm. Um, when I'm thinking about you doing it, aside from the vest you put on, everything is competing against yourself. Everything is body weight. Everything is, you know, it's not like, Oh, how heavy can you do? No, it's, it's you. And I think that also adds to the accountability aspect of this whole thing as well is like, literally it's you against you. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, like I said, before, prior to today, when I realized like this is part of my routine now, and it's kind of just going to be robotic from here on out. It, it really before that, it was like you know, you, you kind of just dreaded doing it because you know it's going to take you a while. It's going to be a, very voluminous. I mean, you're you're definitely going to go to exhaustion doing it. But the only thing you can do is just do one, you know, one step at a time, one rep at a time. Um, however long it takes you is however long it takes you as long as you complete it. I mean, I mean that's that's what it's all about. It's just kind of pushing past your mental and physical boundaries. Right, and you know, I, I, you're saying this, and I'm thinking of like I'm trying to equate it to things that I've done that have been challenging and difficult and really pushed me past my my breaking point. And, you know, CrossFit does that for me. Like I'll be in the middle of a wad and I look at the clock and I'm like, how is only five minutes past or whatever it might be. Yeah. <laughs> and it always yeah. brings me back to, it always brings me back to training in law enforcement and, you know, whatever you're doing, what, whatever the scenario is, or even not even training, like real life, you know, in a fight and you're like, you know, how long is this going to last? Whatever it might be. And one of the things my trainers always said to me was like, you know, you don't train to die. So just keep going, you know, you get shot, just keep pushing. And that's kind of the way I think of a lot of things. Like whenever things get too much or, you know, they get difficult or I just want to give up, you know, I just keep pushing mm -hmm. until I hit that point. Now, that's not to say that I haven't given up on things, you know, that's not to say that I'm perfect or, you know, have a hundred percent win record. I don't at all. Yeah, I've definitely I mean, fallen yeah. more times than I've gotten up, but I feel like, you know, it's a great mental exercise, this whole thing that you're talking about. And for people that don't want to do the Murph a day, you know, there are so many different other things that you can equate it to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you don't want to do a Murph a day, just going out and doing, you know, let's say you're accustomed to only running three miles, pushing that fourth mile, I mean, that you know that you're dreading and you don't want to do and you've never done it before one more mile is all you need to push past that threshold. Then once you get comfortable with four miles, maybe you try five miles and then six miles. The next thing you know, maybe you're going to be doing 10 miles and you're going to start doing half marathons. You know, it just kind of builds upon each other. But I mean, that's the important thing is to keep building upon previous failures, previous ceilings you set for yourself, stuff like that.
just pushing bass past those those uh those restrictions you put on yourself. I, I definitely agree with that. So talking about breaking your own glass ceiling, right? And I think that's kind of goes with your mindset because it's so easy to be a victim of your own circumstance and accepting that and being like, oh, well, this is what it is. But it goes back to this whole making yourself uncomfortable thing. Like, no, you know, it. the, the saying is kind of gets played out now, but like you've survived all of your bad days. Mm-hmm. Same thing, right? You know, you keep pushing through. You don't just say, woe is me. You know, it's all about you accomplishing what you want despite everything else. Yeah, absolutely. I think people want... It's like the popular thing to be a victim. Victim of circumstance, victim of, you know, whatever's going on in the world. And I think that has to do with because we live in a society that's very comfortable. You know, we don't know what discomfort is. We don't know what hard times are. We don't live in Venezuela. We don't live in, you know, Ukraine or Russia where communism and socialism run rampant and destroy lives so like here we, we just have it so good that it's almost like we find reasons to be a victim i don't i don't understand why that is um so yeah i think i think people need to learn to like get uncomfortable so you understand what real discomfort is so you can appreciate what we have here in the united states you know i, I think that's that's super important to live that way yeah i think the the term first world problems obviously becomes a hashtag and is a joke at this point, but Mm -hmm. it really is a, is a completely true thing where you look at the problems of the countries that you mentioned or a third world country. And it's like, no, those are problems. Like we, we look at all, all the different words that are being kind of deleted from our language. You know, like I just saw, uh, University of Southern California is they won't use the word field anymore because that's racist. Or I look at like any Instagram reel and the words that get bleeped out. I'm like, that's a bad, like slap. The word slap yeah. was taken out of a video I was watching yesterday. And I'm like, this is what we're, this is what we have problems with. Or years ago when Starbucks coffee cups, Ooh, they weren't Christmas. They were red. That's a problem. I was like, are you out of your freaking yeah, mind? Crazy. This is what we're having a debate about. Yeah, it's, I know. It's, it's just asinine we- is what it is. Yeah, we 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 take we take what we have for granted, and we just find reasons to get upset, and it's it's ridiculous. So that's why I think this idea of actively suffering um, on your own volition is it runs deeper than just self improvement. I think it, it just makes you appreciate our society here, in, you know, in the United States, um, a hell of a lot more than you know what what people are trying to make it out to be, you know, we're not this, uh, this oppressive country, um, that people who get upset over red Starbucks cups makes it out to be, you know, or the fat people who are trying to make their obesity about white supremacy. I just saw a video of that, you know, like, Oh, uh, what, obesity is a result of white supremacy. It's like, what, how are you making this connection? It's insane. Yeah. Right. Right. And I'm, you know, I've, I'm not ignorant to the fact that there is some extreme poverty in this country. There, there are people that are starving and, you know, they can't afford things and that is a bigger issue. Right. So, but I, I understand that there are legitimate problems there. And that, that's the, that's the problem is that we highlight these bogus issues, right? Um, like half the stuff that's on the, the nightly news bogus, but you have people in, 
you know, the, the slums of Mississippi that are literally having sleep for dinner, you know, because they can't afford the food because of the prices that are caused by everything else going on in the world. But we're not talking mm-hmm. about that. And we don't talk about that. And that's where when, when someone like you or I can make ourselves intentionally uncomfortable First off, it makes you realize that, like, okay, my life is is good. I I obviously have been very fortunate in everything that's happened to get me to this point. But also kind of gives you that point of, like, understanding for people who it isn't a choice for them. Yeah, exactly. And and it kind of goes back to stoicism, you know. A lot of the Stoics and even the, the Cynics, who you know, the school of philosophy that Stoicism was built upon, they were all about minimalism and having as little as possible and being happy with that. Because you know, fortune and riches can get taken away from you in a second. You know, for whatever you know, X, Y, and Z reason. That if you're not used to having less, and all you ever knew was having more, you're going to be, you know. Life's going to hit you hard. (laughs) Right, right. And, you know, I was kind of thinking about that today. I finished my workout and I was getting gas and I was like looking at the car. Well, first I, I, uh, I had my phone out and I was like, oh, I got to put my phone away. I don't want someone to like grab it. And I was like, why would they grab this like four year old phone hasn't been updated, whatever. And then I'm looking at my car. I'm like, this car was brand new when I bought it 30 miles on it. Now it's a six or seven year old car. Got all these miles on it. And, but then I, I immediately went back to, man, I remember before I had a good job and, you know, I was driving a 20 year old car and Mm -hmm. had a, you know, seven year old phone and things like that. Like we, we talk about getting comfortable, right. And we get comfortable in our own situations. And I was thinking like, if I lost my job for some reason, it ended right now. And I didn't have the income I have now. And all this was taken away. I know I could get by because I did for so long. Like growing up was about getting by. It wasn't about living comfortably. It was about living. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I just kind of, I think it's always good to remind yourself that and things like this kind of help that. I mean, it's obviously a different kind of perspective, but it's good to minimalize or at least kind of keep gratitude for what you do have. So that way, you know, should something happen and you lose it, you have that idea of like, all right, my world isn't over. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I don't know if you follow Tim Ferriss at all, but he's he's huge into stoicism. And I know he frequently does, you know, these exercises to prepare him, to prepare himself mentally for, you know, if if the, the rug was taken out from underneath him, you know, he takes those those cold showers. He does like five day fasts. He sleeps on you know, his tile floor from time to time just to get himself used to not having those luxuries in life. Um, And, you know, like, again, like I said, it it all gets rooted back to the Stoic philosophy, just trying to get comfortable with with less. And that way you appreciate the things you do when you do have when you do have more. Right. And that kind of goes back to that, you know, you can't appreciate sunshine if you've never had darkness. You can't appreciate Mm -hmm. no pain if you've never felt pain, that kind of thing. And I think, yeah, I think that mindset is so important. And, you know, that's how we really test our mettle and get through our worst situations. And, you know, sometimes now here's another thing, right? I think that sometimes you hit a problem, you hit a brick wall 
that you can't get through. There's one reason or another that you cannot overcome that. You know, thinking about your ruck and you made it eight days. And I know you. I know you're tough as nails. I know that that was not an easy decision for you to be like, I'm tapped, right? Mm -hmm. So to come to that point, it didn't stop you. You weren't like, well, I'm never going to exercise again. I obviously know it kind of, if anything, reignited that and put you in this mindset. So that way, the next time you attempt it, it's going to be longer than eight and so on and so forth. So, you know, I don't, I never say, what's that? There's a, I think it's a Henry Ford quote or something, but like, I didn't fail 99 or I didn't fail a hundred times. I found 99 ways that didn't work or something like that. Yeah. I know you're talking about. Yeah. I don't think I've ever quit. I've just realized what wasn't working and I readjusted, you know, and that's, I think that's the most important way we can look at life is like, I didn't quit. I just had to recalibrate and kind of change my sights a little bit. And now we're back on track. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's so much learning and growth to be found in failure. As long as you're not looking at, at, looking at it as failure and you're looking at it as like you said, it's like, it's, it's a way not to do something and you just got to readjust. But yeah, there's, there's so much to be said about, you know, missing the mark once, twice, maybe three times before you actually hit it. Sure. And, you know, you think about all those like famous failures, you know, like Michael Jordan getting cut from his basketball team. And I mm-hmm. can just keep going on the, on that list. And it did nothing but light that fire and want them to be better next time. And, you know, some people like Michael Jordan, I, I think it's in one of Ryan Holiday's books, the story. I think it is. I think it's in, I think it's in stillness, but, um, where when he got inducted to the Hall of Fame, he just fixated on that failure still, right? He's yeah. so acclaimed, obviously, but he's still fixated on that original failure. And I think that's the dangerous part, right? We don't want to get fixated on failure or, or what didn't work out. There's got to be a point where like, all right, we accept this, but now let's move on to the next thing. And I think that's the fine line that a lot of people might get. And then you get a lot of self-deprecation that way too. Yeah, it's like sometimes people hold on to some even though maybe they've succeeded after failing, but they hold on to that baggage. And I think in the long run, it might set them back a little bit. You know, maybe, if, if I'm not mistaken, with the whole Michael Jordan uh, story, he was so self-deprecating, but, like, that he got into, like, the uh, the whole gambling, you know, bit, where he lost, mm-hmm. lost all his money or something like that, you know. Um, and I don't know if maybe that was to make himself happier at the fact that he failed. I don't know if he was, it was a compensation, but like, like, yeah, I think holding on to baggage like that might lead you down a, a road that has a lot more vices in it. Right. Right. Because you're just trying to overcompensate whatever that one thing was. Mm-hmm. And you know, for like people with self-esteem, right. They seek attention to feel or with, with bad self-esteem, they seek attention to kind of make themselves feel better, which is fine. Because that's how we get a lot of, you know, good performers and and things like that. But obviously, then you kind of, how far does that go? You know, you worry about promiscuity and infidelity and blah, blah. Like, what kind of attention are you really looking for? Then you get negative attention and it's like, oh my God, where is, you know, where does it stop? And it just kind of goes on and on. So I think it's important to remember, first off, when when and if you struggled, understand that the struggle can always come back. So always prepare Mm -hmm. for that. But don't live in that past either. Like, that's it. It's going to be a lesson. 
but living in the present is just so important. Yeah, 100%. And I and that's another thing that I like about these grueling workouts is like you can't be anywhere else mentally than the present. You're forced to be in the present. You're forced to be very conscious of each step you take, each rep you do. Um, cuz if you're if you're somewhere else mentally, you're you're not going to you're not going to complete what you set out to do in that particular workout or task or, or whatever it is that, you know, you're undertaking at that time. Yeah. And my, my analogy with it is whenever I'm undertaking something kind of massive or, or daunting or scary is I think of like a roller coaster cause I don't like roller coasters, but if I get on one and I'm going up the track, when I hit that top and we're about to fall, mm-hmm. like there's nothing else going to happen. Like, you know, it is what it is. And I had a, I had a training officer yell at me once when I said, Oh, well it is what it is. He's like, how dare you say that? That's, that's complacency. That's cowardice. I'm like, no, I can't go back and change what I did. I can take that lesson and move forward. And you know, if I don't like it, then da 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 da. And that's kind of how I live my life. And it's kind of like, Take things for what it is and put it back out there however you want it to do. That's what you can control, going back to that conversation, mm-hmm. yeah. is you know, is being present and then figuring out how you like that and then acting accordingly. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a constant cycle of eval you know, fail, evaluate yourself, make the adjustments, act, then reevaluate yourself. Or, or, or fail or succeed, then reevaluate yourself, adjust, act. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's very cyclical. That's the only way to to really, you know, succeed in progress is to constantly, or I guess you call it the OODA loop: observe, orient, decide, and act. You just got you kind of kind of keep that cycle going in order to, uh, um, you know, push forward. Right, and and at the end of the day, with all of that that's growth. That is the yeah. ultimate growth. And even if it's a small improvement over time you're going to get growth out of it and that's kind of what i'm as i like today i woke up i woke up late i I tried when i started 75 75 hard i was like all right i'm gonna be team no snooze not gonna hit my snooze at at all just gonna get up when my alarm goes off that lasted like five days and then you know exhaustion started hitting but anyway (laughs) um so i woke up late uh, body sore, body tired, everything. And I, I, I did my walk and I'm like, Oh my God, I don't, I don't. And I'm looking at my schedule. I got a busy day with podcasting and everything. I'm like, I don't think I can get this second workout. Like start thinking about like why I can't, but I was like, you know what, if I can just do this, then we'll worry about the next one. Like stop over analyzing and stop piling it up. And we'll just take things one step at a time. And then as you do that, you realize like, Oh, I'm just checking tasks off my list. And then suddenly the day's over and I, and I did it. Everything I said I couldn't do, I did. And those small steps will make a big difference. Yeah. And I I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, uh, people's rationalization and finding excuses and reasons as to why maybe you shouldn't do something that you know is good for you is probably like the biggest factor in why people fail. You know, um, you start telling yourself, you know, oh, maybe I can miss this workout because uh, I need to rest my knee or something like that. It's like, no, you don't. If your knee's hurting, you can do a, a, a different movement upper body-wise. You don't have to miss a workout. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you got to really ignore those rationalizations and uh, those excuses and just just do it. Like, I can tell you, even though I'm only 16 days into this Murph Every Day uh, for a year thing, um, 
I would say around day 13, I would say day 13 was the worst and I procrastinated so much. I was just like, I don't want to do this. It was, it's cold here in Florida right now. So I was like, it's cold outside. It's Friday the 13th, like just stupid reasons. And then, you know, I just, just got to get out and start, like start the run portion. And once I was about like a quarter mile into my run, that initial run, I was like, all right, I got this. This is no big deal procrastinated for no reason <laughs> right and then it was over and i was like all right that, that was it and last week on my days off because i you know my like i said the days off are kind of the difficult ones when i have the structure of my work schedule it's no problem but the days off um it was again it was a busy podcast day which is kind of how i set it up and i did so the way just for everybody i'll kind of talk about this a little bit different later but uh i've kind of since i'm on nights i've formed my days to be night shift base. So my day starts when I wake up about two, 3 PM and it ends around 9 AM. So when I woke up, I did my walk and I'm looking at the clock. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to, I'm not going to, Oh no, actually when I woke up, I didn't do my walk. I was like, shit, I'm so behind on things. And so I didn't get my first walk in my first workout of the day till like 10 PM. And I was like, Oh my God, this is terrible. And then, but I, again, I reframed it and I was like, well, if my day doesn't end till nine, I can wake up early and, you know, so you start figuring out how it can actually work. And then once you stop making those excuses, suddenly it's like, oh, this works. So I I think that's the biggest thing is like, stop making excuses for yourself. You know, pain's temporary unless you have like a full injury. Like today I was like, oh, my my body hurts, right? So my second workout is actually going to be a stretching yoga workout. So it's still going to be physical. It's still going to hit the, get to check that box, but it's, it's kind of like an active rest day. Yeah, exactly. If, if that's one of the biggest excuses people make is like, "Oh, I'm injured, or I hurt, or I'm sore, so I can't work out." It's like, it's like I said before. It's like, okay, so if it's just your leg hurting, then do upper body movements. If it's your shoulder hurting, do lower body movements. You can always adjust and acclimate and uh, re refigure out how to work out around those injuries or those sorenesses or those aches and pains. So there, there's always an answer um, that people just choose to ignore sometimes. I think there's always an answer, but before that, there's always an excuse. There's always yes. a reason why you can't do something, yes. but you can always follow it up with reasons why you actually can. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's just a matter of, you know, figuring it out, ignoring those excuses and, and acting. Just do. Put that foot that first step forward yeah and you know I'm a, I'm a sports guy which when people see me they don't they don't get that but you know i, I enjoy baseball and, and a good story that i like is the year he was retiring cc sabathia was i think they were in the playoffs the yankees were and he was pitching out of the bullpen and he you know he had some shoulder or elbow issue something going on and he came out to pitch and he was doing it whatever literally pitched until he could no longer grip the baseball that's that was it and mm-hmm. you know i read it or i listened to an interview with him and he was like you know i i couldn't throw the ball like the the last pitch that i made i don't know how it happened like i think his elbow became dislocated or something crazy but he did he found a way to push through it obviously and i don't want to push people to injure themselves intentionally but push yourself that's the whole point is push yourself even to get past that point of comfort to a little bit of discomfort and then see what happens you know you you could work out that little rust you know that little bit of soreness and then you're perfectly fine 
Exactly. It's people people panic for no reasons and it's it's not until they push past that uh that that glass ceiling and you know, they'll panic for a little bit, but once they come to and they realize like, oh, this isn't that bad, then that's when the real growth happens. It's just like, oh well, you know, I can do this. I was just I was just lying to myself. Yeah, and the next time they're faced with that feeling like, oh, I felt this before. I know what this is like. I can push past this. And then suddenly that glass feeling, their the glass ceiling is significantly higher than it was had they just stopped. Exactly. And it, and it's easier to push past the next time because you know how to how to navigate it. Correct. Correct. And it's um so so significant and we're talking physically, but it's it, this is a mental thing. This is building you as a person. This is personal growth. This is anything. Like I remember I mean, I, I, we can keep giving examples, but I think the, the point's pretty much driven home that when you find yourself in an uncomfortable situation, found, find yourself against the wall, there's ways to go around it, even if it's, you know, literally pivoting and going to something totally different. And that's where new growth comes from. You know, if you're like, I got a, I got a small garden out front. And when I look at things growing, they don't grow from something that's already grown. They, you know, they push out a new branch and that's how something grows. So I don't know what it feels like for a plant to grow a new limb. Right. But if you use that metaphor, you know, you're going to have to push through something for that new growth to actually come through. Yeah, exactly. 100%. I totally just pulled that metaphor out of my ass. I like that one though. I think I'm going to hold on. <laughs> yeah. It's very, uh, Confucius of you. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 what is it called? A Buddhist in the garden. That's kind of, yeah. Yeah. All right, Bill, this is this is good, man. This is great. I think these people listening hopefully have a new um, understanding of mental toughness and how to push it and get it. Uh, I got a few more questions for you and then we're going to we're going to wrap it up. Sure. All right. So these are these are my mental questions at the very end. I like asking each guest this and kind of get their take on these um, and see where everyone stands. So the first one I got for you is what's the best book you've read recently? Ooh, best book I've read recently. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with Atlas Shrugged. I just finished it up at the end of last year. So like a month ago, um, it's, it's about a thousand or so pages long. Um, but it's, it's kind of like, a it's like 1984 in a way where it's 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 dystopian fiction but it's eerily similar to what's going on today and it's pretty much about how socialism eerily creeps in undetected into a society before next thing you know um you know society's crumbling the economy's crumbling and and people start suffering so it's it's a good book to check out i had to read it and do the audiobook i had to like Attack, attack it from two angles because it's uh, such a big book but I'm a I, I really like that book it was very eye opening okay uh, I will I haven't even heard that one before so I have to look into that uh, mm. what is something you do to ground yourself uh, honestly it's it's these grueling workouts there's nothing more grounding and humbling than uh, the, the act of suffering that you put yourself through so yeah I mean it's pretty much what this whole podcast was about is just suffer actively suffering you know that's how you keep yourself grounded yep i agree i mean literally that's getting you back to ground zero i like it yeah. uh, what is something you do for self-care pretty much it's just it's reading it's working out um i did get into the cold therapy <laughs> as you mentioned before it just it's a lot of uh self-awareness self-reflection and physical 
exertion is how I, you know, keep take care of myself. And, 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 you know, trying to diet okay. as well, but sometimes that's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, it's been one of the hardest parts of this whole 75 hard thing too. Uh, would yeah. you open up an envelope with your death date written on the inside of it? Uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> you know, then you know how much time okay. you have left and you can really live up to that, uh, that date, you know, if, if, if it's tomorrow, then, you know, then I got, I got a lot of living to do you know, before tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's, it's funny because when I ask that question and it's, it's always one or the other, like polar opposites, the way people react to it. And I've noticed a lot of the cops, like the true cops that are out there, that's always their thing. Cause a lot of them, it says, you know, they say, you know, I spend so much time planning for the future and planning ahead and blah, blah, blah. blah. But if I knew that it was going to end, or, you know, whatever. And and they, they still, they live intentionally in the moment, but they still plan so far in advance because they want, obviously, to have longevity as well. So it, it's very interesting to hear that, but I, I totally see what you're saying with that. Mm-hmm. Would you be friends with yourself? Me now, yes. Me at 18 years old, absolutely not. <laughs> it is, it's funny how, how, you know, how different you are. The, the person I am now, yeah, I'd 100%, you know, be friends with myself, but... You know, 15 years ago, no way. <laughs> what do you want from other people? Uh, ideas. I want, I like, I like the exchanging of ideas and conversations, even about, even though, you know, if it's about hard topics, um, because I think that's maybe a big issue that's going on in our society is, you know, everyone's stuck in their own echo chamber and no one's willing to have those hard conversations where ideas get you know passed between each other you know i'm all about that and that's why i like joe rogan's podcast i mean obviously you've listened to it Mm -hmm. he's he has people on his show of all different sorts of ideologies and backgrounds and political beliefs and he just exchanges ideas with people it's just it's a casual conversation where you know they bounce like i said they bounce the ideas off each other and they they low and they they grow and they learn so if if that's if there's one thing I could ask from people or I want out of people, it's it's ideas, and I want people's own own ideas. I don't want um, someone's regurgitation of some sort of you know book they read and make and, you know they try to make it their own. I want you know original, um, sincere ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What sort of impact are you looking to make, and how will you make it? Um. I just want to lead by example of, of, you know, what it is to, you know, be disciplined and motivated and hopefully people can see that and turn their lives around. Maybe, maybe they see me and they're like, wow, I want to strive to be as disciplined or motivated or whatever as Bill Morrow. And maybe they've turned that mirror on themselves and they're like, all right, this is what I need to do to achieve that. So you know, just just to be a, an example for someone to possibly strive to be, but obviously that I first have to you know hold myself accountable and be that person. Right, right, and that's you know that's something that I kind of quarrel with myself, right? Because I'm trying to push this whole you know mental clarity, personal growth thing, and I look at myself some days and I go, "You're the problem here, there, bud." And then like mm-hmm. you know, obviously that's kind of my own personal growth journey as well. 
And what I like about my podcast is kind of sharing that experience with people because as I have guests on like you, I look at how that reflects to me and go, okay, how can I adjust my life accordingly? Or if I have someone that says, you know, you know, we got to work on not being so negative. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we got to stop being negative, right? <laughs> I got to hit the negative with the negative. But I, I agree completely. And I like that how we can push our own personal ideas on people, but that also leads to self-accountability. I think that's healthy. I think that's good that we can do that. And I feel like that's the whole iron sharpens iron, making each other better people Yeah, is by doing that. And if, if, you know, you reach out to me and say, you know, this is, this is the stuff I'm doing. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Then I can learn stuff about myself through that. So it's, I don't know. It's it, again, it goes back to what we were saying about it being very cyclical and just kind of helping each other. Yeah, exactly. And that's and it's one of the whole reasons why I've kind of made this Murph challenge public because I feel like if mm-hmm. if I just kept it to myself, I'd I'd find a reason to maybe quit at some point this year and no one would know about it. But if I put this out to the public to see and uh you know, it, it'll keep me accountable and it will validate my integrity. Um, there's going to be no, obviously, now that everyone knows about uh, knows about it and sees me doing it, there's going to be no cutting corners. <laughs> there can be no cutting corners, mm-hmm. and there's going to be no quitting. So it's like, as much as it's probably going to suck over time, um, I just it's going to it's going to keep me hanging on and doing it because I don't want my my integrity called into question. Right, right, and that's you know as we've been talking and what I was kind of dealing with this morning with my 75 hard. And I was like, man, I don't know if I can make a day nine. And just through this conversation alone, and I posted about it on, on my Instagram and pe- like out of nowhere, out of the woodwork, people going, Oh, you got this. You're doing, it. I'm like, I didn't think anyone was really paying attention or cared. And now that mm-hmm. they are, cause again, that's kind of why I posted it in the first place was for self accountability. And now yeah. for people going, you know, I think I'm going to pick it up too. Yeah. It, it's kind of great. It's 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 kind of sucks because like the easy way out is kind of gone now. So it's one hundred percent a good thing. Yeah, exactly. How do you define the word friendship? Um, that's a good one. I would say loyalty. Um, not you know what? Not even loyalty. Someone that challenges you. Someone that's gonna be blunt with you. You know, if you're screwing up, it's. It, your friend needs to be someone who's telling you that you're screwing up, um, not someone who's going to coddle you or enable you. So, yeah, I would say um, bluntness, bluntness and uh, mixed with loyalty. You know, I think that's those are two mm-hmm. great qualities in a, in a real good friend. Yeah, almost like loyalty and accountability. I had uh, I had Aaron Lohman on Huge Fat Loser and he was like, listen, yeah. just because someone's nice to you doesn't mean that they care about you. That just means they're feeding you a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. A true friend, a true person in your life is going to hold you accountable and they're going to have tough conversations and they're going to call you out when you're being a dick. Exactly. You know, you need someone who's going to yeah, exactly hold you accountable, tell you when you're screwing up, telling you what, tell you when you're being an asshole or when, you know, just stuff like that. You you need those uh, those reminders in your life, and a good friend should be that reminder. Yeah, I was listening yesterday, driving into work, and I was listening to the John Deloney show, and he had a guy on who was saying, "Oh, you know, I, my best friend's gonna ask me to be his best man in his wedding, and you know, I've known him for ten years, and 
he's been dating this girl for five years and I know he's about to ask her to, to marry him. And I, you know, for five years, I just have not liked this girl, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, I don't want to bring this up because, you know, it's going to ruin our great friendship. And Deloney was like, well, that means it wasn't a great friendship. If you're not willing to have this conversation with this person over five years, half of your friendship it's not as good as you thought it was. It's, you know, it's basically built on nonsense at that point. And when, based on what you were saying, I was like, man, that's, that's so true. Like everyone thinks that a good friend is someone that you can play video games with, someone you can bullshit with, go out for drinks with, but yeah. a true best friend is going to have real conversations with you. Yeah. Real accountability, real raw, blunt conversations. Exactly. How do you define the word happy? And what makes you happy? Oh, happy, happy. Um, I would say what makes me happy is just um, waking up every day and being being able to do what it is that I want to do. I would say happiness is freedom. Um, as soon as you start losing that freedom to do what you want to do, um, I think you really need to reevaluate reevaluate what it is that's keeping you from being free. Um, and I say that because law enforcement, people end up selling their soul and their freedom to their agency um, as a means to get promoted. And I think it's really, I think that's sad. That is the an antithesis to happiness is, you know, selling your soul, sacrificing your freedom for an agency that's not going to remember you in 20, 30 years. Um, so that that's not going to remember you in 10 years. Yeah, exactly. So that to me, that's happiness. It's being having the freedom to do what I want to do in my off time and not having to sacrifice my soul to a, a, a greater power that could give, you know, two shits about me. Because at the end of the day, even you could leave your agency right now. And guess what? That agency is going to go on without you. That's the way you got to look at it. Yep. And that's that's a conversation I have a lot with people. And, you know, I basically said that you don't your your agency doesn't owe you anything and really aside from the bare minimum that's all you owe the agency i mean obviously for career development and everything you can be great at your job cool awesome great but don't sell yourself short just because you want to give more to the agency because the agency does not give a shit exactly exactly they're not going to build a statue of you they're not going to name a street <laughs> after you you're you're just another number another payroll number in the in the in the human resource department. Right, right. And I feel I, maybe I'm talking about myself here. Well, I know I am, but maybe it's just me. But I know when I started, I thought, man, I'm going to be God's gift to law enforcement and I'm going to have, you know, they're going <laughs> yeah, to be a training do. center after <laughs> me. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't take long for you to realize or not. <laughs> like, you know, if, if you get a policy because of something you did, that's about as good as you're going to get, but that's not for a good reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, man. The the last one I got for you tonight. What do you think is the meaning of life? That's that's another good one. Put me on the spot here. Uh, I think the meaning of life to me is to be um, productive. I think having a mission is the meaning of life because as soon as you stop being productive or you don't have a mission and you don't have a why, like what really is the point of living? That's why people get depressed. They don't have... A reason to wake up in the morning. So I think pr pr productivity is the meaning of life, and you can make that productivity whatever you want it to be. That's that's the beauty of it. You can, if you know, 
painting is your means of productivity, then paint. If writing a book is your means of productivity, then write a book. Working out, I mean, whatever. You, you can do literally whatever you want. As long as you're being productive and you have that, that, that why and that drive, that to me is, is the whole you know, purpose of, of living a fulfilling life and the meaning of it. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Basically, find what you love and let it take over your life. Just, just let it go. Exactly. And I think it's uh, important to find that. And it's, it's not something that's attached to your profession at all. It's got to be something totally different. Um, yeah. Yep. And that's, that's, that's the most important thing that I can, I can say. So I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah. All right, man, that is our interview for today. That's our conversation. I really appreciate everything you said. If people want to get in contact with you, if they want to see the amazing Murph a day challenge, where do they find you? Uh, so my Instagram page is at the stoic cop. Um, and I also have a, a blog that I've kind of revamped on Substack, which is, uh, I think it's like the stoiccop.substack.com, where I'm going to be putting like out little articles here and there of my journey through this whole Murph challenge, as well as other things um, I've, I've put out on like leadership and, and some other, you know, little um, topics. So those are my two... Uh, I guess social media type accounts. Um, if you want to email me, it's the stoic cop at gmail.com. Other than that, that's about what I got going on online. And, and where do we find the book? Uh, so you can get it on Amazon. Um, there's, you can get the paperback copy and there's the, um, the Kindle version. There's no audiobook. I know people have asked me for it. Uh, I, I, I like, I'm a big proponent of actually reading, so I'm not going to, I think if I do the audio book, I'm, I'm going to be enabling people to not read. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to keep it Kindle and paperback for now. That works for me, man. Bill, this was great. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate it all. Absolutely, man. It was great to talk to you again. Absolutely. Everyone listen, stay tuned. We'll be back to wrap it up. Bill, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. CC, if you did it on that uh, pitch that Diaz popped up, means you threw, what, three more pitches and then a warm-up pitch. And on this pitch right there, he dislocates his shoulder. He threw more pitches after dislocating his shoulder. What did that feel like, and how did you do it? Felt terrible. <laughs> and, you know, once I realized this was going to be kind of a long at bat, I kind of realized that I wasn't going to be able to do it. You know, when I was throwing those pitches to Springer, I, I couldn't even look up to see where I was throwing the ball. You know, I was just kind of letting it go and whatever happened, happened. Now that it's over, can you give some context about how much effort it, it did require you to get ready to pitch? For bullpens, you know, game days, um, anytime I had to get on the mound, you know, it was a two and a half hour process. CC, you're a Hall of Fame pitcher that was as tough as any man I was ever around, what you went through on a daily basis to just be able to get on the mound throw a 15-pitch bullpen and, you know, take me two and a half hours to get out there. So, you know, that that's the part of it that, that sucks, but it makes it all worth it when you can get out there. You were probably the greatest teammate I've ever been around because of your ability to pull all 25 and sometimes all 50 people together in a clubhouse. You know, that's all it's about. What it's about for me is being able to go out there and compete um, no matter what I got to do in the clubhouse to get out there. 
CC Sabathia will be in the Hall of Fame. So why did I include the last little bit about CC Sabathia's last appearance? Is it because I admire his determination? Is it because I miss baseball season and can't wait for it to be back? Probably a little bit of both. But these are people talking about a game. Now, if we go back to our conversation a few weeks ago with Isaac Asiata, these are very well-paid individuals that play professional sports, but they're much more than just that. They're people. They realize that by playing ball on a field to entertain millions of people, they are not curing the world's ills. They're not solving world hunger. They are providing a great deal of entertainment, but to them, that drive and competitiveness is above all else. That is the exact same mindset those in law enforcement have, the desire to win. However, our desire to win is sometimes a desire to stay alive. That team-driven mentality is for your squad. I feel like too many of us, especially those in the internet meme community and even this like push for proactive policing, fixate too much on the me first mentality. Let me go out and get my stop. Let me do this. You know, I don't have to take calls. I don't have to do this, that, that. And that mentality is the worst, right? Because it's a team thing. It makes law enforcement so cancerous. No one, you know, you may look up to a guy that's always making the good stops and everything, but if he's not going to back you up because he's got better things to do in his mind, that's not a team mentality. Everyone has a skill. Everyone has their niche. No one is better than the person next to him. CC Sabathia had a world full of troubles during his career that could mirror and actually be identical to a career in law enforcement. He had chronic knee injuries. He had surgeries, back injuries, heart problems that led to a stent being put into his heart. He even dealt with alcoholism, putting himself into rehab during a season. Despite all that, he still went out and performed during his 19-year Major League career. His accolades include six-time All-Star, American League Cy Young winner, two-time American League wins leader, World Series champion, and has over 3,000 career strikeouts. My point being, after all the things that he could have made excuses for, he went out and performed to the highest of his abilities until his body literally stopped him. And that's something that we could all think about when we apply it to our own lives. Myself included. I'm, I'm, no, I'm not immune to this. So that concludes my episode for today, guys. Once again, a very special thank you to my guest, Bill Morrow, for his insight on the topic. Go check him out on Instagram and go get a copy of his book, The Stoic Cop. It's available on Amazon or Kindle. Get you a copy. You won't regret it. Also, something I haven't talked about enough, the music for the last few episodes. You'll notice that I haven't used my usual soundtrack, which is music I enjoy or that you'd find on Spotify or YouTube or things like that. The music now that we use is brand new, original music created by a retired police officer, Jeff Smith. He was on this season, uh, the, the show last season on episode 211. He's a great guy, very talented, and he's officially the music maker for our episodes now. So that way I don't have to deal with any kind of copyright infringement and I can post it to YouTube and, and so on and so forth. So check him out. He's done a lot of training, he has his own training company as well. He's a, he's a great guy. Next week, I have a very, very special guest. Sergeant John Mattingly will be joining us. Sergeant Mattingly is a former law enforcement officer from Louisville, Kentucky. He is notable because he is the man that was injured and involved in the Breonna Taylor incident from the year 2020. Uh, you want to talk about resilience? I can't wait to share that episode with you guys. That's going to be in seven days. In the meantime, go check out the merch store. It's 10-8-memes.ecwid.com.
youtube.com. Check us out on YouTube as we're starting to put more content on there. Like I said, I'm going to try to put our non-copyright infringed episodes on there. I might even go back and edit the old ones and put the new music in. We'll see. That's going to be a process. So we'll see. Um, But go check us out on there. I also have clips from other episodes. Um, Check us out on Instagram as always. We also have a brand new P.O. Box. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, you guys will never have to send me anything. But if you would like to send me a patch or anything like that, I will gladly send you the address. We are one step closer to legitimacy, guys. So um, check us out. We've got a lot of great things coming. Until next week, take care of each other. Stay safe. Stay uncomfortable. 10-8 out. <laughs>